Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. You are listening to Healthy Voices Radio, where you will hear podcasts featuring stories from our Healthy Voices family, hosted by amazing advocates, interviewing amazing advocates. Now, here's your Healthy Voices Radio host, talking all things health-related, Robert Brining and Brady Dale Morris. everybody and welcome to the third episode of Healthy Voices Radio. I'm your host Robert Brining and my awesome amazing co-host and health advocate is here with me of course Brady Dalmaris. Hey Brady. Good afternoon Robert and good afternoon listeners. So glad to have you all with us today. So Robert let's Yes, I'm thrilled. Let's get started. I want to start off by saying Healthy Voices Radio is produced and sponsored by Jansen, the founder of Healthy Voices, a groundbreaking leadership conference created exclusively to empower online health advocates. For more information on Healthy Voices, please visit HealthyVoices.com. Follow Healthy Voices on Twitter, Instagram for updates for this podcast, as well as Twitter chats, webinars, and the 2019 conference, which is coming up next week. I am so excited to be in Dallas with everybody next week. Oh, my God, it's going to be surreal. I really need this time, as Becky would say, to fill my cup up. I, I, I am so overwhelmed with emotion between the conference coming and leaving my previous job and now starting a new job working down at the airport. It's, it's really been insane. So these moments of, of connecting with other health advocates and especially the purposeful connections where we connect with the advocates, you know, who um, are living with HIV and it really like, it's emotional and it really takes a toll on you and it really helps help for me. It like recharges my battery. So I'm super, super stoked for healthy voices. Absolutely. Um, I just got back from Washington, DC um, being there for age United um, AIDS watch, you know, the annual, um, congregation of HIV advocates advocating for to their um, legislators for HIV related issues and I came back home like you just said feeling like you know my cup got filled that week or that over that weekend um, gung-ho raring to go and I just know that after Healthy Voices Conference I'm so excited for all the first time attendees this year um I got to actually even meet and speak with some of them there at AIDS Watch, um, who are going to be with us in Dallas next week. So I am so excited, so excited. Um, before we get started, we have to go over a few disclaimers. Um, let's get those out of the way. If you need medical advice or have any questions about your treatment or condition, we urge you to speak with your doctor as we cannot provide medical advice. Also, as a reminder, for regulatory guidelines, we're not permitted to discuss any medications or products during today's episode. Information um, that we talk about is going to be shared in a public capacity, so we will not be sharing any personal or confidential information. Also, we will not be sharing any personal information about any other people. And also, last but not least, Jansen paid for us to host and produce this podcast episode and series. All thoughts 
that are expressed here are our own. That's right. That's right. Now let's get to the show on the road. We have an amazing guest here today, um, Dakota Rosenthal. I met at my first Healthy Voices um, conference uh, two years ago, and he was somebody who just kind of like stuck out. It was like a, a ray of light. Uh, he was funny, you know, he's cute, and, and he really like just the way that he excelled in, in his activism and the way that he captivated you know, the people that he talked to. I've watched many of his videos online, and uh, he's just an amazing man. Uh, Dakota Rosenfeld is actually a 23-year-old student at the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Pharmacy, and Dakota has severe hemophilia A, a rare genetic bleeding disorder that affects the blood's ability to clot. His condition led him to create Hemotool, an app that helps people in, in the bleeding disorders community better manage their condition order medication, and find treatment. So I am super, super excited. So please help me welcome Dakota to the show. Welcome, Dakota. Hi. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. Well, we're excited and to I have Dakota, you. I know Robert, Robert just said you're 22, but I, I know from following you um, on social media, you actually just had a birthday. So you're 23, right? <laughs> Did I say 22? 23, again? yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> It feels good. So we're excited to have you here. Um, you know, I remember, like I said, uh, Brees, a little bit before, meeting you at the first conference and then seeing you last year when uh, Brady went for the first time to Healthy Voices. And, um, you know, you were just somebody who, who kind of stuck out. And when, when this project came up and was offered to us, we definitely wanted to include you in it. So we're super stoked to have you. Oh, thank you guys so much. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a warm welcome. I really appreciate you guys thinking of me for this. And I'm super happy to, you know, for the talk that we're going to have today. As are we. Awesome. So before we get into your personal journey, I want to know a little bit about bleeding disorders as a whole, because for somebody like myself, I know nothing. Um, if it's not something that has affected me or somebody who is close to me, I'm kind of, as I would say, ignorant to the fact of what it is all about. So can you kind of just break it down for me a little bit and on our listeners who may not know what a bleeding disorder is or what causes it? So uh, the the quick and skinny on it is a bleeding disorder is something where the body has an inability to clot and requires medication to allow it to clot naturally. Um, so there's lots of different bleeding disorders out there. Um, the main ones include von Willebrand's disease, platelet disorder, and hemophilia. Um, hemophilia, which I suffer from, there are three different types. We have hemophilia A, B, and more recently a new kind of designation for a hemophilia C. So hemophilia A is a deficiency in the eighth clotting factor. Hemophilia B is a deficiency in the uh, ninth clotting factor. And then hemophilia C is, like we said, it's a little bit newer of a designation, but it's called plasma thromboplastin antecedent deficiency. And some physicians, just because that is a lot to get out of the mouth, is also just called Rosenthal syndrome. Wow. That's incredible. There's, I didn't see, and that's something, there's so many different kinds, and I would not even know where to begin. I mean, how do you know which is which? Like, how do you know which one it is that you're, um, you know, dealing with? Is there tests that are taken or? Yeah, so there's different tests that can be taken. So once it's determined that, okay, this patient is actively bleeding, uh, bleeds can present via, you know, skin cuts. Um, a lot of times patients are determined to have hemophilia if it's a male patient at their circumcision early on. Uh, where the bleeding just does not stop. 
So once they determine that there is some type of bleeding issue going on, it can also be an internal thing. It can be bleeding into the joints, or some patients may have bleeding into the intra-abdominal cavity as well as um, the head or neck area. Those instances are a little bit more serious, but once it's determined that bleeding is occurring, that's when they can say, all right, let's A, look at the family history, because yes, this is a hereditary condition, but if there's no family history of it, they can dive a little bit deeper. Uh, I was one of those cases. My family does not have a history of hemophilia. So once they dove a little bit deeper, they determined, okay, well, there's a bleeding issue. Let's try to see what it is. So there's various tests that can be done to determine what specific bleeding disorder the patient's suffering from. Well, Dakota, now, I'm sorry, um, um, how, were you, how were you diagnosed in um, Dakota? Was it from like a childhood injury that, that led to your diagnosis, or, or, or when were you diagnosed? So I had a lot of childhood injuries, as luck would have it. Um, I actually was not diagnosed until I was 13 months old. Uh, so kind of like I already touched on, my family had no history of this condition. Uh, my mom and dad did their due diligence in taking me to my pediatrician whenever I would have you know, swollen joints, excessive bruising all over the place. And it was misinterpreted back in the time, since it wasn't in our family, that they thought that I wasn't being taken care of very well. Um, at that point, my mom, who's a respiratory therapist by trade, she did her due diligence. She was attending school at the University of Kansas Health Systems, and she did her diligence. She went into the library, and she basically didn't come out until she knew exactly what it was that her son was going through. She then presented all the information to the doctors who said, you know what, all right, let's see what we can do. Let's do the test, and, you know, we're here today. I was diagnosed at 13 months, and I've been thriving since. Well, how was your childhood then dealing with, with hemophilia? Like, for me, hemophilia has always been kind of a personal – I felt very attached to it, especially since my HIV diagnosis um, with one of the most famous people um, having ever lived with hemophilia being uh, Ryan White and um, him contracting HIV through a blood transfusion and then uh, him leading on to the, the legislation or him advocating for the legislation that has now saved, like, my life and countless of others' lives – um, so hemophilia has always been kind of close, close to my heart. Um, how did, uh, how did hemophilia affect your childhood then? My family did a really good job of making sure that I did not live in a bubble. Um, at the time, you know, treatment standards weren't as high as what they are today. And there were also lots of you know, gray areas with what a hemophiliac patient could and could not do. My family had always been super active, doing stuff outside, running around. We went skiing every year. We'd always done all of those things, and they wanted to make sure that their son was not limited by those things or by his hemophilia. So I am one of the fortunate cases where since my family had a bit of a medical background, they kind of understood the condition through the help of local resources, like our local hemophilia chapter and our advocacy groups here in the Midwest. They were able to say, you know what? Yes, this is going to be difficult, but we're going to make it work. So thankfully, I can you know, summarize it as I did not have to live life in a bubble. That's awesome. Well, that's awesome. Because, um, and it made me think of the movie Bubble Boy when I was uh, oh, right? Bubble you know, Boy? hearing yeah. you speak about that before, <laughs> like how that would be. You know? So it kind of was interesting. Um, how was it in school, like with, with growing to like high school and, and, and other kids? Was it something you had to talk to other you know, uh, your friends about growing up? Was it like conversations you had to have? You know, it was always a conversation that we had to have. Um, at my earlier age, it was my parents who did a lot of the advocating for the parents of my friends. You know, 
some friends did approach the friendship with a little bit more caution, whether that was their own doing or their parents just saying, hey, don't hurt this kid. Whatever it may have been, some friends did approach friendships with a bit more caution than I would have preferred. But the older I got and I was able to kind of self-advocate, I decided, you know, I'm going to make sure I knock it into their heads that I'm just like any other kid. I just have this one little thing that I have to do extra on top of living my normal life. Did you play any sports? I mean, because you're, you know, you're physically fit, you work out. Did you play sports in, in school at all? So I didn't ever do any organized sports through school. Um, I was often out t- outside with friends, you know, running around, doing whatever, growing up. Once I got into high school, I did partake in the swim team. I joined the swim team when I was a sophomore in high school, and I did swim all through, you know, all through high school. I was the team captain my senior year of high school. I really, really, really enjoyed swim. I basically did it year-round. So the swim season was in the fall, but I essentially did it all year-round um, through recreational swim leagues at our local community center. So I found a way to be active. Um, High-impact sports like football, wrestling, those types of things I wasn't able to do um, just because at the time the treatment standards weren't as high as what they are now. Right. No, that makes Dakota, sense. Something, I, something I found very interesting you just said, you said that you started self-advocating at a young age, um, and that's something that even as, as adults that many of us struggle with. Where did you – where did that strength come from to, to be able to, to start self-advocating at such a young age? So a lot of it came thanks to the, both the local and national resources that the bleeding disorders community has at their disposal. Um, our biggest one, which I'm actually at a conference for right now, is the Hemophilia Federation of America. They're a very good consumer-focused – or family-focused, I should say – a national organization that provides resources on educating, whether it's about the condition, um, how to manage home life, how to manage relationships, et cetera. I also attended on the local level uh, the Midwest Hemophilia Association's camp, where we were able to go, and essentially they would put a big group of kids with this condition. It sounds like a nightmare to any healthcare professional, but it was really, <laughs> really great for development for kids like me who had a bleeding disorder where there may not have been somebody else that they knew in their home city or in their hometown where they lived who had this condition. So a lot of times some kids, before they go to these camps, they often think they're alone or, oh, well, I'm only going to see people whenever I go to big national conferences. We were able to do a lot with, um, you know, advancing our care at these camps where I learned to self-infuse when I was nine and I started to doing it myself when I was 10. So a little bit of background for hemophilia patients, it is fixed by injecting via an intravenous shot, so needles stick into the vein, um, the missing clotting protein that your body needs to help clot. So whenever a 10-year-old kid is sticking a needle in their arm and hitting a vein and injecting this medication and acting very knowledgeable about it, even adults start looking at them and say, okay, maybe we're going to listen to them when they're, stuck, when they're talking about something. Absolutely. Well, Dakota, um, one thing that I loved um, in in your TEDx talk, if you want, uh, if you could explain this to our viewer or listeners as well, I love the way how you relate hemophilia to like a fire, and the and yeah. it helps. Would you like? To, could you explain that to our to our listeners right now as to exactly like how how it's a cascade? Yeah, absolutely. So for those unaware, um, your body, whenever your body gets a cut, your body instantly, if you're unaffected by a bleeding disorder, will instantly start to 
fix that cut. There's a giant chain reaction that happens. If you've ever, if you're ever bored, I wouldn't suggest it. But if you're ever bored, Google plotting <laughs> cascade and hit images. It's this big, scary-looking image with arrows all over the place with letters and numbers, and it's a nightmare to look at. But broken down to make it easier to understand, if there is a fire on one end of the room and there is a puddle of water, a bucket of water on the other end of the room, your body has 13 guys or 13 gals lined up ready to dump the water from the first person all the way down to the 13th person, bucket over bucket over bucket to get to the fire to put out the fire. A hemophilia patient is missing one of those people. So say, for instance, me, I'm a hemophilia A patient, so my eighth person, factor eight, is missing in that lineup. So the water would be able to make it from factor or person number one, two, three, all the way down to seven, but they would essentially be dumping it onto the ground. It wouldn't be able to get to the fire. So that's a, I think that's, that helps illustrate in a very clear way um, and I know it did it for me, and that was a great TEDx talk, too. Um, to our listeners, you can find Dakota's TEDx talk online. It is an amazing, amazing uh, few minutes of your time to watch. Um, I'm curious, how does uh, – so we know how, that we talked about your childhood with hemophilia. How about as, you're, as you've grown older and in your adult life, how does hemophilia impact your life today? So thankfully now the treatment standards for hemophilia are a lot higher. Um, back in the day, there were certain, you know, it was possible to have a maximum out of pocket or a maximum lifetime spend for medication. Um, for anyone not well versed, the hemophilia condition is extremely because it is a clotting protein that has to be reintroduced, and your body eats up clotting proteins really, really quickly. So you have to constantly make sure that there's enough of it in your system so that way you can clot like normal. When treatment standards weren't the best, um, I do have some long-lasting damage uh, just because when bleeding occurs into the joints in a hemophiliac patient, it's been proven that the joints essentially start to degenerate, and they get worse and worse over time, causing a condition called hemophilic arthropathy, which is basically just arthritis and pain secondary from having a lot of bleeds in your joints throughout the years. So now today, our treatment standards have gotten higher to where I don't have to worry about additional long-term damage. However, I do have existing long-term damage. Like I said, my left ankle, hemophiliacs have something called a target joint where they may have multiple bleeds. You can have one target joint or you can have multiple. Thankfully, I only had one, but my left ankle was my target joint. I had an excessive number of bleeds in that ankle over the years, which has led me to have that condition, hemophilic arthropathy, that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. It doesn't limit my activity. Um, it is something that I have to think about every morning. I do take a medication to help with the pain from that. But it's not something that has completely bedridden me, thankfully, or made it to where I can't be as physically active as I would like to be. I do like, like you mean to have your, you know, what was that? I'm sorry, Dakota. I was just—I was just going to say real quick. So, for me, I just thought hemophilia meant like you would couldn't stop bleeding. I had no idea that it had other implications inside your body, mm. other than the fact that you couldn't stop bleeding. Yeah, so it's been proven that um, bleeding excessively into the joint. So, and a joint bleed, for example. Um, I'll use the term just as a bleed over and over and over again. But for example, a joint bleed, you can't actually see the blood in a joint bleed. 
the patient's going right. to have a decrease in their range of motion. All of a sudden, it's going to hurt really bad to walk like normal or to have your full range, you know, lifting your foot up and down. That's going to start to really hurt. And then in some instances, the most severe cases, you'll see the joints swell up, where sometimes it can get to as big as a baseball or a softball sitting on that joint underneath the skin. When that happens, it causes some pretty serious degenerative effect on that joint. And the more you have it throughout the years, the worse it is for those joints in the end. Hmm. You know, one of the things that um, I was reading along on, on uh, it was either a blog or a website in regards to it, um, they were speaking about spontaneous bleeds. Is that something that you experience often, or is that something that is, you know, uh, kind of per person? Sure. So spontaneous bleeds can happen to any hemophiliac at any time. Um, it's, when I say the standard of care has greatly improved for the hemophilia population or bleeding disorders in general, really, when I say the standard of care is much better now. So originally, the standard of care was, okay, the patient's having a bleed, they're having pain, let's fix it, let's take it away. The transition of care has been more towards, okay, well, let's prevent these bleeds from happening all the time anyway. Spontaneous bleeds are what they're talking about. By doing enough of the medication on a prophylactic regimen, some people do it every day, some people do it every other day. There's medications where you can do it once weekly and even once monthly. But that, having that type of approach to treating hemophilia prevents those spontaneous bleeds. They still can happen at any time, which is why it's super important that a patient is exercising their diligence with maintaining their treatment regimen the way that their doctor has prescribed it, finding a treatment regimen, working very closely with their healthcare providers to what's going to fit your schedule, to what is going to fit your lifestyle, and then also maintaining an active log of their medication so that way they can see, okay, I infused on Monday and Wednesday, but I didn't do one on Friday, but I had a bleed Saturday morning. It, this could have been prevented if I would have stuck to my schedule and shown. Taking those logs back to your healthcare providers, you're then able to show them and say, hey, you know, the regimen is fine. I just was not adherent and I missed a dose, which is why I had this. Because healthcare providers can use those logs to say, your treatment regimen might not be the best. Let's see if we can increase it. Let's see if we can change it. Maybe you're a candidate for a different product, et cetera. Mm, I see. So as a health advocate myself, I'm sure that you, you know, and Brady and I, we speak about this all the time. We are so busy helping others and, and, and you know, just getting out there and just trying to, educate other people and bring awareness to the cause and, and the conditions that, that, you know, we are living with and, and, you know, advocating for, what are some, what does self-care look like for you? Like how does Dakota take self-care time for himself? You know, a lot of it. So I like spending a lot of time with people all the time, but I definitely need me time. I definitely need to be able to go in, you know, whenever you guys get it, anytime that you've been around a lot of people, it's so nice to see lots of people. It's so nice, but you have to think, okay, you know, my health comes first. I need time to just go sit by myself. I like to just stare at a wall or just sit by myself and not have to like <laughs> smile and talk. Cause I'm always smiling and talking. So I like to just kind of sit and relax and think about my condition first and say, Hey, I need to make sure that I'm maintaining my treatment regimen. I need to make sure that, you know, I'm having time to recharge and get back out there and continue my advocacy efforts. And that is awesome. I, I, was, I was just saying, one of those things that I've seen, Dakota, that you do, you post a lot um, about you show your self-infusions online. 
and that's something that I had I've never seen before, and that goes a great way mm-hmm. in help breaking down some of the stigmas and the myths about hemophilia. Um, when did you decide, and how did you decide that you were going to to take your condition so public in that in that manner? A long time ago, uh, in a galaxy far, far away. No, so a long time ago, um, we were approached because I have always been somebody to answer any and all questions when they come my way. Um, I have always wanted to make sure that patients felt like they were not alone. Somebody at one time said, you know, my son is really having a hard time with this condition. My son thinks, you know, there's nobody else out there with this condition like me. There's nobody else that understands what I'm going through. And he was a younger guy. Uh, He was, I believe at the time, maybe five or six. He he was a younger guy. But that really spoke out to me as, you know, she had, his mother had said, we have showed him videos of people doing stuff. We have showed him, you know, videos of other kids playing and whatnot, but it had never felt personalized. So I took it upon myself. I actually had my mom record me doing it for the first time. And we shared it with him, and I spoke to the kid directly. You know, I said his name. I said, hey, you know, on here there's no last names or anything. So I said, hey, Adam, you know, it, this, we deal with this. You know, I, I'm just like you. I deal with this condition. I am going to show you what it's like to do this, you know, do this treatment so that way you can know that you're not alone. We did the entire process from start to finish, and not only did that help their processes, but it also that mother – the way she reacted whenever I did that, that made me feel so good. Knowing that I was able to connect with them on a personal level to show her and her son, like, hey, this is okay. People can live with this condition. You just have to take a little bit extra care. And when I thought, if I'm helping her do that, why not put it more public? Why not do it for even more people to see what we live with? Not only does it help other people living with the condition, but it also helps people we might not even know what the heck hemophilia is or what we have to do on our you know, day-to-day basis. That yes, we can live a normal life, but it just takes a little bit extra care. So, well, you see, and that goes right into my next question. Um, you know, you started off as, as a, from, a, from your childhood advocating for yourself. So was it the request of others that kind of led you to wanting to advocate for others? And or what else kind of led you along that path? Exactly. Um, you know, over the years, there's been a lot of people. We've been fortunate enough. We've been fortunate enough to attend lots of national meetings as well as lots of different local meetings. And over the years, we've had people ask us lots of questions about, you know, treatment, um, about our lifestyle, about how do we cope with it, about what's going on, what are your thoughts on this. And having so many people come to us and ask us those questions, people do that because they know that we are a valuable resource to them. And they know that when they ask us a question, I will go up to bat for anybody who may have some kind of question but may not be able to either have a platform to be able to talk to the necessary people or who may be too nervous to do it. I'm not nervous for anything. So (laughs) I have absolutely no issue going up to bat. And I think people just understand that. So knowing that we can be utilized as this resource has led us to say, you know what, I have been gifted with the ability to, to, for lack of a better word, talk. That's all it really is. And I'm going to do it not just for myself, not just for my own benefit, but I'm going to do it where it's going to benefit others as well. You know, Dakota, one of the things that um, uh, I I was curious if it it affects you is, is stigma. Like what are some stigmas that are associated with, 
with uh, hemophilia. And do you deal with a different, like, is there any kind of dating stigma? Is it something like, you know what I mean? I'm just curious if that's something that affects people when you uh, tell them. So sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, Over the Mm -hmm. years, I mean, I've had friends that when we discussed what it was, again, I think a lot of the, I think a lot of, you know, any stigma that may be associated with it is just from a lack of understanding. As with many, you know, instances of stigma, we do a pretty good job of educating people. And I like to point out whenever somebody comes up with, you know, something that may be hurtful or something that may be misunderstood, the biggest, the biggest misperception or misconception about hemophilia, excuse me, is we're going to bleed out from a paper cut. You know, so we don't want to do anything that's going to harm you. We don't want to do anything that's going to put you in harm's way. It's just too difficult to have you involved with things, so we're not going to involve you at all. And I am really quick to call foul on anybody when I think they're doing something like that. And, I, it, again, it just comes down to making sure that they're educated on the condition and knowing that if a hemophiliac patient says, I can do this, take that as scripture. Listen to them and just go forward. Brought on. Well, Dakota, um, from listening to your TEDx talk and, and everything, I want to get into talking about how, why and how you created Hemotool. Uh, it, it was kind of mind-boggling to me that, as you know, from your childhood, your family was faced with um, receiving a letter one day from your insurance company stating that you had, you know, richer lifetime benefits for insurance. And I know that that is something that those of us with chronic illnesses um, all phase when it comes to insurance. Um, but how can you talk about how from that kind of led up to you wanting to create Hemotool? Yeah, absolutely. So we got that letter. Um, you know, my mom and dad did a pretty good job of going up to bat multiple times with our insurance company to increase the lifetime cap that they would spend on me. But at one point, it finally ran out. Um, at that point, we found out that there was a clinical trial at our local treatment center for a new investigational drug. I'd essentially been in clinical trials then until the ACA passed in 2010, wherever they took away the lifetime cap mandate. So that way, or they put the lifetime cap mandate in there to where that wouldn't be a form of discrimination against patients with rare or expensive conditions. Right. While we were in that study, um, they gave us a device that was for a long-acting factor product um, that is now on the market. But during this study, they gave us a handheld device. And the handheld device was used to log our treatments every day that we had to do one, whether it was part of the study regimen or if it was for a breakthrough bleeding event. Uh, this device was big. It was clunky. It was really just not the easiest thing to use in any way, shape, or form. At that time, the... Apple iPhone had just come out. This was about 2007 or so. And then the App Store debuted, I believe, in 2009. And when I wrapped up that study, we all just kind of sat there and thought, and I'm like, what if we could put the functionality of that big, ugly, clunky device into an app on a phone that is very clearly starting to take the world by storm? Right. Right there, Hemotool was kind of born. Um, At the time, whenever we came up with Hematool, it was a lot of community outreach. It was a lot of seeing, okay, what is in existence already? What are features that you guys like, that you dislike? What is way too much? What's not enough? The good thing about Hematool, it's been created entirely by feedback from the community. It wasn't just us sitting behind closed doors saying, I need this in there. I need that in there. It was done based on feedback from the community 
Um, you know, of things that were out there that maybe didn't work the best for them, or, oh, I really liked this, I would like this within this other app that I enjoy. So having a community feedback panel to help create the app was really how we helped propel ourselves forward. And ever since then, I mean, the rest is honestly history. I love that, because um, like you said, you know, a lot of times, um, a lot of companies will try to develop a product, but they don't turn to the patients, and we are the experts so I think that it is so great when we ourselves as advocates and patients put together a regimen in which it, it can help the larger community and that, and that you were also open to the community input to improving your own product. So just besides you said logging your treatments, what else does Hemotool do? So Hemotool also allows patients to order medications and order medication refills from their specialty pharmacies. Um, patients are able to multi or manage multiple profiles from one login for families where there may be two, three, four. We know a family that has six hemophiliac kids in one family. Talk about a headache. Wow. But, wow. <laughs> and it also allows patients to find hemophilia care when they're on the go at specialized hemophilia treatment centers. Uh, we utilize the uh, National Hemophilia Foundation's list of hemophilia treatment centers here in the United States to implement that. That is amazing. Um, so does, does Hemotool also have a, a support type or like a support group option or anything like that to it as well, or, or is that something separate? So Hemotool is constantly evolving. Um, a lot of our stuff, so people do from the community, though it's not one, part of our core focus, uh, we do oftentimes have patients from the hemophilia community reach out to us on our various social media channels, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, asking us questions about, you know, products that may be in existence. Um, you know, what do you guys do for treatment? What works best for you? Do you guys have any input on, you know, what are your thoughts on company A or company B, et cetera? So we like to put ourselves out there and make sure patients know they can come to us with questions and we will do our best to act as a resource for them. It, we always like to say if we can't find the answer, we know somebody who can answer your question and we will get you connected to them. You know, we've that awesome. really solidified ourselves with maintaining a constant connection with the community. And since we're constantly evolving, we have an open sourced support panel inside not just the Hematool app, but also at our website where patients can connect with us and offer us consistent growing feedback on how we can improve our product. That is awesome. Um, I think it's really, I mean, that touches on, on all chronic illnesses that, that and what you were just referring to and talking about how there's not a specific answer for each individual or for or there's not one blanket answer for all hemophiliacs that that it's that it's all individualized and and we need to work closely with our providers to find the best thing that works for us um so what's what's next then for dakota and and hemotool what what is what are some of your next steps and some of the things y'all are looking at so our biggest next step is we wanted to take our probably one of our most utilized portions of the app, which is the Hemophilia Treatment Center Locator. So the World Federation of Hemophilia has a database of all hemophilia treatment centers in the world. And our next step is to implement the Hemophilia Treatment Center Location device. We're wanting to be able to enhance that to be not just the United States, but every hemophilia treatment center via the World Federation of Hemophilia's database. Wow. 
That's awesome. So tell me, you know, coming up, we're excited. Healthy Voices is coming up. How excited are you to, to be at Healthy Voices next week? Oh, I am so excited. I'm super excited to be at Healthy Voices next week. You have no idea. <laughs> so I met you at the one two years ago. Um, tell me what your Healthy Voice experience was the first time that you went. You know, the most amazing thing of Healthy Voices to me is just the constant warm and inviting, inviting environment of everybody that's at that conference. When I first went to Healthy Voices, somebody first reached out to me online and said, hey, I think you, just, you, know, you should apply for this. I think it would be a good fit. You should come check it out. I was, admittedly, I was kind of timid about it. I said, well, you know, I don't really know. You know, it's not a bleeding disorders thing. I haven't ever done something that was, I don't want to say generic because this conference is anything but generic, but it's not geared just solely towards bleeding disorders. So I was a little bit timid and hesitant, but I'm glad that I ultimately uh-huh. did it going to Healthy Voices for the first time and being able to connect with other advocates from other, you know, disease states, I was just blown away by how, A, open everybody was to offering good ideas to help improve your advocacy efforts, but then also just by how friendly everybody was with wanting to know what the heck a bleeding disorder was. I mean, at the time, I believe I was the only person who went for the bleeding disorders community, and I think there might only be one other person even now but it was so nice for so many people to come up and ask questions about this condition they'd never heard about and be so receptive to everything that I had to say. I mean, that's just been a lasting feeling where I'm just you know, super happy I get to be a part of it. Yeah, you know, kind of like we were speaking earlier, it gives us a chance to fill our cups up as advocates. Yeah, exactly. It's a great chance to recharge, like you said, to recharge the battery. It's a great instance where you can say, you know what? Not that you're ever out of ideas, but, you know, I need something fresh to re-engage, you know, the people who utilize me for resources. I need to re-engage myself in my advocacy efforts. And attending Healthy Voices really is that connection to a power source to recharge, essentially. So how many years have you gone so far? So this will be my third year. So attending next week will be my third year. Okay. So actually when I met you, it was your first year. Yeah. Well, when yeah, I was, was there in Aaron. Yeah, too. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Cool. So one of the cool well, things at Healthy Voices – go ahead. No, I was going to say that you were – you're talking about – we're talking about going to Healthy Voices and, and traveling, um, and I know that across the, the chronic illness spectrum, traveling can as, – as, as much as we need it to, to try to also help recharge our batteries and take a little self-care, how does being – how does your, your chronic illness – affect your traveling? Like, what do you have to do? What kind of preparations do you have to make? Is there any trouble that you encounter? I know with, with having to do injections, do you get stopped at, at, at TSA asking, you know, why are you bringing these needles or syringes? What do you face in traveling with, with this sure. condition? Sure. So, you know, more recently, I've kind of become a seasoned pro at it, but there definitely have been times in the past where we you know, fought, we have fought with TSA before we have kind of fought to make sure that we could get through security essentially. Um, so hemophilia medication uh, comes in vials with saline syringes. So fortunately the medication that I use is pretty compact. It's easy to break down and take with me wherever I may go. Um, I do have uh, some insulin wallets that are super helpful that I use. My medication is something that's supposed to be chilled or at room temperature. It cannot get hot. So I right. do have insulin wallets that I like to travel with, um, the, fa- the factor products, making sure that they're in there, they're protected, they're at the correct temperatures and whatnot. 
So that sometimes does get the stop through security. Um, fortunately, here in the United States, I haven't ever really had too many issues. I have a letter from my hemophilia treatment center in Kansas City. They provided me a letter that says what hemophilia is, what the medication in my bag is, in the instance TSA ever stops us. And I do have that in my, essentially my go bag for my hemophilia medication so that if they ever ask, they can just point to the letter without even touching the bag. They're like, read that if you need to know anything. Um, the only time I have ever actually had an issue with a where they were just super, what on earth is this? I don't know what this is. You're not going to get through. You need to explain it. Wasn't TSA at all. Um, it was actually in Rome uh, at the Rome airport. I mean, it took us probably 20 or 25 minutes to get through their head. This is a medication. <laughs> Thankfully, we had a letter that had been translated into Italian so that they could review it and see what was going on. But that's really been the only issue we've ever faced was I, they just weren't familiar with why would this person be traveling with so many? At that point, that was a really long vacation. So I right. had so much of this medication with me. They're like, why would you need this much for a vacation? I'm like, well, <laughs> you see, I got to do this a lot. So, <laughs> Well, I think that's some great advice for our listeners. Um, so traveling with, with a letter from your physician, and then also you mentioned insulin wallets. What else, what other tips can you offer our listeners or other people with bleeding disorders for about to embark on, on travel? Making sure that, you know, you discuss with your man, the manufacturer of your product uh, to make sure that you have proper storage considerations in mind, whether it be temperature, can this be taken out of the box that it comes in or not? Um, those types of questions are always good to ask. And then, of course, you want to make sure that you have an emergency plan ready with your providers. Having some type of instance where you may be away from your normal providers who give you care, if an emergency does happen, you guys need to have some type of plan set up in place. Have it as a note on your phone. Have it as a piece of paper that you take with you anytime you travel. But knowing that your provider has come up with an emergency plan tailored individually to you can greatly help out in the instance something does happen, God forbid. Gotcha. Now, Dakota, I'm kind of curious, you know, having having followed you for the past year since I initially met you last year at Healthy Voices, um, I am incredibly inspired by your, your career path. How has um, your own diagnosis influenced you to decide to go into pharmacy? Sure. So, my diagnosis, we, the hemophilia community, they are very close with the you know, pharmaceutical companies, with the specialty pharmacy companies, everybody who provides our care. It's just the nature of the community. We're all very close-knit. Um, we have worked within the – or not worked within, but we have been involved with the healthcare industry from an early age. Since I was diagnosed, the first thing that my family did was reach out, get resources, want to get involved – so they could learn more about this condition that their son was just diagnosed with that they had no family history of. So being around the healthcare spectrum from an early age, it kind of got me, you know, thinking, well, I really want to help people. And I know, you know, I'd always been pretty good in school and I knew that I had a lot to give back in the instance that I could. So working in the healthcare industry, I saw that as my golden light. Um, originally, I actually wanted to be a hematologist, believe it or not. But I shadowed a hematologist, who, which hematologists, for those of you who may not be aware, they usually dual, dual specialize as oncologists as well. Um, I shadowed a hematologist who had to tell a, a younger kid that they had terminal cancer and they were not going to make it. 
when I was at that instant, I got extremely upset. I got very emotional, and I knew that that was not going to be the path for me. However, I wanted to still be involved in the healthcare spectrum to some respected capacity. So that's where I was like, okay, well, let's see what we can find. And the PharmD or the doctorate of pharmacy degree really stuck out to me as a versatile degree that I could go in, I could still be involved in healthcare, and I could do pretty much anything that I wanted to do with that degree. Do you find that, that your educational um, endeavors has also helped you in your advocacy aspect or like, or I guess um, in other words, like giving, giving your voice more validity? Um, Cause I know that like recently I saw that you were um, on the, or at the state Capitol there in Missouri with your mother um, advocating on behalf of people with bleeding disorders. Yeah, um, absolutely has it. Um, just today, just today, actually, for instance, um, whenever you go up and speak to somebody without telling them, you know, oh, I am, you know, in pharmacy school or what have you, any type of healthcare related schooling, they kind of listen to you. They're like, yeah, okay. But today, for instance, there was a company I was speaking with about a new study uh, drug that is coming out. They're looking at potentially doing patient trials at some point. When I spit out the name of this really big, long drug that was a competitive drug and also in clinical trials, their eyes just kind of lit up, and they said, oh, wow, you know what that is. And I said, yeah, 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 so I'm a PharmD. And they, you can just see their change in how serious they are with talking with you. It instantly flips the switch whenever you can speak knowledgeably about a condition that you're talking with. Having that background, we've also had a lot of patients come to us knowing that I am going through my PharmD and then knowing that my mom also was a respiratory therapist by trade. We did have medical training in our backgrounds. That has added, like you said, a bit of validity to us being able to talk to them from not just the patient perspective, but also from a professional perspective of, yes, we do know what we're talking about. No, we don't have all the answers, but we can help you get the correct answer, and it helps people trust our opinion. That is awesome. But I also want to point out, um, as, as, as great as that is, that just, with, just because we are living with these conditions, that in and of itself does make us an expert, and it is up to us to make those um, who are in charge or responsible for making these decisions about our lives it is up to us to, to, to make them realize that we are the experts and to listen to us regardless if we have any other initials or letters after our name. That's true. The one thing they always say is we are Correct. our best advocates. Yes. Awesome. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Dakota, um, you know, we, we touched on Healthy Voices, um, the conference, and when I was there the first year is when they introduced uh, the Healthy Voices Impact Fund. Um, for those of those who are listening who are not familiar with what it is, the Healthy Voices Impact Fund is a grant program that supports innovative efforts by health advocates to serve and assist patient communities. And, and like I said, in 2017, uh, you were a recipient of the fund. Can you tell us a little bit about what your reaction was like when you found out and, and how hard was it to apply for the fund for those who may be attending this year and may want to, um, you know, try it out or, or, or try to, you know, apply for it? Can you t tell us a little bit about the process? Yeah. So honestly, what was it like when I, you know, whenever I was notified that I received the fund, I was completely shocked because I was the first time attendant. <laughs> I had. Do you remember where you were? What was that? Did they call you? Like, do you remember where you were when it happened? 
Oh, yeah. I actually remember I was – I believe I was actually at the grocery store, and I remember running outside because it was really loud, and I had to go out. I said, hold that thought, and I ran back outside, and I said, okay, could you say that again? I want to make sure that I'm not crazy. And, yeah, Uh, I was just completely blown away. That was the inaugural year of the fund, and me as a first-time recipient, I, you know, they had pushed for us. Hey, you guys should apply. It would be really great. mm -hmm. Let's see what we can do and come up with as a group. And I applied. I took their word for it, not thinking anything positive as far as, oh, you know, I might not get it. I might. There's been people who have been here many other years, et cetera. I was completely blown away to hear that they had picked one of my projects for it. As far as the application process is concerned, super, super easy, very convenient to fill out. It should not you know, a fear of maybe filling out a grant application. Some people may have it because historically they can be long and arduous and be absolutely horrible. But as long as your idea fills the main needs, you know, it has a definable beginning, middle and end. It serves some type of measurable outcome. These people are here to help you. These resources are here. And if you don't go for them, if you don't try to utilize them, somebody else will, as far as I'm concerned, because they are great, great, great opportunities for advocates like ourselves to really get involved and really take our advocacy to the next level in some instances where people may otherwise not be able to. Yeah, I think it's true because I remember, you know, when I was there that year and hearing them talk about it, um, for somebody like me who had other projects before going there, you know, money is always an issue as an advocate who's doing this because it's their passion or it's where they feel right. that they need to go. So to, to have that help, and thank God for Healthy Voices and, and Jansen to, to do the impact fund. And if, if you're going this year to the conference next week, I, I highly recommend that you learn all about this impact fund and definitely put in your application to get some because, like you said, they're here to help us. And I think that's kind of, you know, one of the things I like about Healthy Voices and Jansen. It's like a family. You know what I mean? Like they're all here to, to kind of help each other and, and, and help us help each other, you know? Simple. Simple. Help each other. It's what it's all about. So, uh, yeah. Dakota, tell me a little bit about uh, what, what you think that we can do to help bring more awareness to bleeding disorders. Like as, as a whole, as a community, what is it? something that somebody who may be sitting at home who may be living with this can be like, what can I do to start advocating? The biggest thing that you can do to start advocating is just get involved. There are so many available resources out there, both on a local level, you know, regionally, as well as the national level that you can get to. Like I said, my favorite one for the national level is the Hemophilia Federation of America or hemophiliafed.org. You can get on there and you can find so many good resources that are more family focused towards helping yourself with this condition, helping a family member with this condition. How can I help get involved in volunteer events? There's walkathons. There's all sorts of different opportunities for patients to get involved and have their voice be heard. But if you're not wanting to dive right in, if you're just wanting to inquire or be like, oh, I'll just kind of you know, tiptoe around it and see what I can do, see what I can do to get involved, reach out. If you know somebody with a bleeding disorder, if you know somebody else, or if you know somebody else who is active on the advocacy realm like I am, reach out. I am here all the time to answer questions as soon as possible. I always like to help out community members, both from the bleeding disorders community and from outside our community. Anytime I can help act as a resource to some inquisitive mind, I want to be that person for you. And that's why we love you here at Healthy Voices Radio. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Well, 
so Dakota, are there any other projects that you're working on currently um, to help help get out the word about hemophilia and other bleeding disorders? So currently, like I said, we're working on the evolution of our hemophilia treatment center tracking app for Hemotool. But one thing that we are also going to start, we've noticed that there has been uh, an increase in our website traffic. We've noticed that there's been an increase in people wanting to find additional resources for the community. So what we've wanted to start pushing for is more of a blog-based focus where not just ourselves, but members from the hemophilia community or bleeding disorders community in whole can write in on various topics or various you know, areas of interest where they can send it to us and we can post it on our blog to help push, you know, these thoughts are probably not your own. There are other people who probably have the same questions as you. And unless you provide them with that platform where you can see those questions come up, you might not ever know that they're there. So that's our next project that we're pushing forward towards is creating some type of online area where people from the community can go in, post information to help spread the word about whatever areas of interest there may be. Tons of them exist. Insurance. Um, dealing with healthcare providers, finding a healthcare provider that may be comfortable dealing with various, you know, oh, I'm a hemophiliac, but like I'm, all, for instance, I'm also LGBT. So finding a hemophiliac provider that's comfortable with LGBT patients, that would be a huge area of interest for lots of people. So providing patients with that resource is our next step. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I that reminded me, you know, when I was a, a young student, I had a teacher once tell me that the only stupid question is the one not asked. So, so yes. never, be afraid, mm -hmm. never be afraid to to ask ask those questions because, like you said, there are other people who are thinking the same thing. So, Dakota, um, real quick before we're coming to the end of the show, um, where can people find you on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, your website? Give us all that good info. Sure. So our website is www.hemotool.com. We're also located on Facebook and Twitter with just at Hemotool. It's H-E-M-O tool, T-O-O-L. And then you can also connect with me personally. I'm very active on Twitter and Facebook as just D. Rosenfeld, R-O-S-E-N-F-E-L-T. Perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. So, um, before we go and let you go, Dakota, there is one thing that I know we were talking about self-care earlier, and one of your, your favorite things is, is ice cream, if I remember correctly. Um, one, I want to know, what is your favorite ice cream? Um, and, and, or what is it, yeah, what's your favorite ice cream? Well, you're right. Uh, one of my big coping mechanisms <laughs> whenever I, you know, have had maybe a bad hemophilia day or just a bad day in general, I do like to overconsume some ice cream. Um, so there is a Chunky Monkey flavor from Ben & Jerry's that I'm a very large fan of. And I'm also uh, trying, I'm starting to get into the uh, chocolate chip cookie dough from Halo Top, believe it or not. People are like, that's not real ice cream, but I think it's pretty good. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big mint chocolate chip, but it has to be green. Yes, exactly. There you go. <laughs> what about you, Brady? I'm a, I'm a dark chocolate lover. I love my chocolate ice cream. I can have it in any shape, form, or fashion, soft serve, frozen. It does not matter. Give me some chocolate yes. ice cream, and you'll have a happy Brady. <laughs> so, we'll have to, so when we're at Healthy Voices, we're going to have to find somewhere to go get ice cream, the three of us. 
I'm totally yes, down. Let's absolutely. Do <laughs> and whoever else wants to come. <laughs> thank you so much for, for joining us today, man. It's been awesome sitting down and, and hearing your story and, and all the amazing work that you're doing. I think it's great. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. This was awesome. Uh, thanks again, right, Dakota. So- we want we want to remind all of our listeners uh, to be sure and find us either on Blog Talk Radio or also do not um, find us, uh, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, on iTunes, and you can also find us on Google Play. Any final words that you want to put out there, Robert? Uh, just thank everybody for tuning in today, and I cannot wait for Healthy Voices Radio next week. We're going to be live at the, at the conference doing the show, so join us there as well. Um, I just can't wait. I'm excited. So, and I want to thank Barbie for tuning in. So I want to thank everyone. Uh, it's been amazing. Brady, another great show. Um, thank you, everybody, for, for tuning in. And uh, that's it for me. Thanks again, everyone. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.